This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we are joined by Ames High teacher James Webb. We're going to have an amazing conversation about the process that he went through to be a national board certified teacher and how it reignited his passion for teaching. James Webb, thank you for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. I'm not going to lie. So um, I'm going to start by saying congratulations to you. Thank you. Uh, National Board Certified Teacher. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into this, isn't there? It it was a lot of work. I think maybe more than I knew going into it even, but it, but it was a good experience. So I've done a little bit of research on this, but yeah. honestly, um, not a lot. So I, I do have a lot of questions about this. Um, this is a pretty grueling process. Um, just yeah. this semester, um, you did become National Board Certified. So I want to talk through that process. And and before we get that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote on what is on their website. So it says, National Board Certification is a comprehensive process developed by teachers to recognize, reward, inspire, and grow accomplished teachers across America. So now I want you to tell us, like, what is a National Board Certified Teacher? And and talk us a little bit through that process. Yeah. Uh, it, It kind of breaks down teaching into its most fundamental elements. And it, it kind of asks you to go through and explore um, the way that you go about being a teacher, you know, the things that you do. There, there's five core propositions. I brought them here because I don't have yeah. them memorized. Um, but it, it starts with, uh, one, teachers are committed to students and their learning. Two, teachers know the subjects they teach and how to teach those subjects to students. Three, teachers are responsible for managing and monitoring student learning. Uh, Four, teachers think systematically about their practice and learn from experience. And Proposition 5, teachers are members of learning communities. And so it asks you to kind of be intentional and reflective about all of those, and then you kind of have to show how you are proficient and uh, proficient practitioner of all of those different propositions. So we're going to get into um, some of those, and, and I have written down here some components as well um, that you had to demonstrate. But mm. how long has this been on your mind? Like sort of what um, – you had to make a decision and say, you know what, I, I want to go through this process. I want to learn. I want to um, s- submit and organize my materials in order to do that. I mean, how long have you been thinking about this? And then mm. what finally made you say, you know what, let's, let's do it? Because you have to commit. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You can't go softly (laughs) into this. No. Uh, You know, I've been thinking about it for years, honestly. I had uh, some friends that had gone through it. Um, I have a friend that's on kind of the executive board with that. And and so she'd been bugging bugging me about it forever. And I honestly, you know, I was kind of getting to that point in my career where – you know, kind of maybe that midlife crisis, yeah. like, is this is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Or is it time to regroup and look in a different direction? And so that's kind of what I was wrestling with. And I felt like I was very dissatisfied. I felt like very stale as a teacher. And mm. um, I knew the things that I was doing were, you know, they were effective to a point, but I just felt like I could be better. And all my learning was just, 
I didn't feel like I was in control yeah. of everything I was learning about myself and about teaching. And so I decided to go ahead and, and commit to it. And uh, it was a two-year process. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was great. It was very worthwhile. So how long have you been teaching? 24 years, okay. I think. Yeah. So um, those feelings and stuff that, that you had, was it just a result of... Um, you know, when you've been in a position, you kind of was like, all right, mm. let's, we're doing it again. And then you get to this unit or, you know, like, were yeah. you get, having that feeling? Is that, is that what was happening? Yeah, good question. I, I think partly there was some frustration, um, n- never with students. Like, that's the part yeah. that I always get excited about. Yeah. But just the mechanics of education and the, the systems, you know, yeah. uh, can sometimes be frustrating. And... And yeah, I think sometimes just in the classroom that what we were teaching sometimes felt stale and finding new materials and uh, for whatever reason, it just felt like, is this what I want to do? The kids are starting to move out of the house. And so I'm like, (laughs) this is the time to examine this and figure out if if this is what I want to do. That's fair. But I mean, but in all honesty, I mean, 24 years in any profession, you're going to see a lot of change in that profession. So I mean, like... uh, the way students learn from the start of your career to now is very different. Very different. Um, The types of students, what they're interested in, what they have access to, and then ultimately the way you have to teach has all shifted and changed. (laughs) Yes. I mean. (laughs) Very different. Yeah. Very different. And that's one of the things I love about it too, you know, and I love that it's different and every year is a new challenge and students are different every year. So you make the decision. And this is sort of a lifestyle decision here. I mean, it's it's just before we went live, you said, you know, it's really as intense or more intense than going through your master's program in, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. So how do you get started in it? So what's the process? You, you know, you sign up, you commit to it, and, and then what happens? Yeah, I, I signed up for it. I read a little bit about it and yeah. then was like, I'm just going to do this. And then I started downloading. Yeah, I brought the... These are all the, the materials. This binder alone is, is just all the instructions um, and things to consider as yeah. you go. And it's really overwhelming just trying to keep track of even how, how do I go about doing this. Yeah. Um, so it started just with a lot of reading, trying to understand the principles, similar concepts to the ways I'd thought about education, but some new vocabulary. And uh, then to start moving into, I, I split it up, did the first two components in one year and the second two components the second okay. year. So then just kind of unpacking how am I going to go about gathering evidence and how is this going to yeah. guide my instruction. So let's talk through some of these components. Um, yeah. I have down here component one, content knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I also put in parentheses because I got this off their website, um, a computer assessment. Yeah. So what, what, what's that entail? It, it felt a little bit like the SAT or something <laughs> for teachers. Yeah. Um, you know, that was probably the part I was, I was least nervous about because yeah. I, I, everything that I do is really content heavy, you know, yeah. in my master's and a lot of the other classes that I've taken over the years. So I felt pretty confident with that, but they do ask, um, you, you have no idea what they're going to ask you about, but yeah. obscure literature or different literary movements. Um, but they also, the content was also focused around instructional practices. So okay. 
uh, as an English teacher, uh, my, one part of my exam was also like, here's student examples of work. Um, what are they doing well? What are they not doing well? What oh, type okay. of feedback would you give? And you're kind of assessed on that part yeah. of it as well. With the portfolio, so component two, differentiation in instruction, is that what you brought? No, it's all digital. Oh, okay. But it's, it's, but it's a portfolio nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, so. yep. And that was great. Uh, that year, well, that was 2019, 2020. Yeah. And so oh, so I, that's, a, that's a weird year. It was a weird year. <laughs> so first semester, I was mostly just kind of reading through this and getting ideas. And then I decided I would really do my gathering second semester okay. to really put it all together. So you select um, classes, mm -hmm. and then out of those classes, you're trying to show how you differentiate your instruction. Yeah. What do you gather? How do you use that to inform your instruction? And uh, so uh, interestingly, you know, we never got fourth quarter. Yeah, right. I was going to say. And so things got really interesting that way um, with how do I still, the few students that are kind of carrying on, how do I yeah. still make this happen? Um, but but you know, we figured yeah. out and that's teaching. Like you never know what yeah. you're going to get. So I thought it was really authentic that so way. So what are some, like, what are some examples of what you put into this? Like, what are, what are you looking for? So like they would ask for, okay, um, you know, explain your philosophy or, or, or your objectives for a unit. So you kind of mm -hmm. set it up around a unit. Here's the unit. Here were my objectives. Here were my pre-assessments. Here are my formative assessments. And then you have to show the, the evidence that you gathered. So here's the data that I collected. Yeah. And then you show how you differentiated your instruction. So um, I developed these different groups based around their performance relative to these standards. Yeah. And here's what I did to kind of meet the needs of these students. Here's what I did with these students. Here's what I did with these students. Then you show them in the next tier how they performed on the next level. Then you show how they did on their summative assessment. Yeah. And you're not evaluated based on, you know, did all your students get to proficient, but just like how skillfully did you navigate through that process. And um, then it's an opportunity for you to be really reflective. And I found that sometimes the way that I was getting, the evidence that I was gathering, I wasn't really using effectively. And sometimes yeah. I was gathering information that I didn't use at all. And sometimes what I was gathering wasn't as clearly aligned to my my ultimate standard as I as I kind of thought it was. Yeah. And so it was really helpful for me to to recognize some limitations in the ways that I'd been setting things up in my own classroom. Yeah. Super valuable. Yeah. So I didn't anticipate um, even going uh, another layer into this, but. What's an example of something like that in your classroom that you've done in the last couple weeks or, or month? Like what are what um, piece of literature are you looking at? And like, how would you lesson plan something, you know, you know, for this week or next week? Or, you know, yeah. how, how does that process that, that you went through, you know, just that thought process, how, how are you applying some of that? Yeah, so okay, so one thing we're doing right now, I'm, I'm, co-teaching a class with uh, Chad Smolik yep. um, called the Literature of Resistance Movements in American History. And we kind of have a sociology focus on it now. But uh, so we're starting to move into more of a project-based model. Okay. And uh, so we're going to be doing some research with that. Um, and so one of the things we're doing right now is we're just trying to set up, like, what, what do they know about how to do effective research? Yeah. Um, 
So we're starting to do, we will give them a small piece. Uh, so we introduced a concept about a, a specific movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing the labor movement right now, okay. which is not the most exciting, like sexy <laughs> movement out there, but you know, it's good. It's yep. good. Um, and so we introduced one concept to them and we're like, okay, here's a concept that appeared, you know, how did we get the, uh, the eight hour, um, day, you know? And, oh, okay. Um, so then what, how, what are the movements for today? So they just have to do a little bit of research and then record their like reporting back to us how they navigated that process. And through that, I'm able to figure out what do we know about research? What do we not know about research? Um, what do we know about citing sources? What do we not know yeah. about citing sources? Before I move into my next step, which is the big annotated bibliography, now I know, do I need to give direct instruction to everyone or do I need to, to develop different groups based around their, their sure. content knowledge coming in? Yeah. And that way it saves time, everything's more efficient and uh, I can provide scaffolding for people that need it and not waste the time of those who don't. Yeah. So how difficult, how much time do you um, put into, you know, thinking about where your students are at? So, I mean, we're at the point of the year where, you know, you've been around, you know, a lot of students for for quite a while. You you kind of have a sense of where, you know, some students are at on, on in some areas, not in others. But ultimately, um, you know, they're bringing all of a lot of previous experience into your classroom. And so you're constantly going through that cycle of, you know, some formative assessments, you know, just walk me through what that looks like, you know, I mean, on any given day, because it can change, I'd imagine. It it does change. And since we started a new semester, um, we're getting far enough in now, we're starting to figure kids out with the new semester. But with my AP students, I've had them all year, but I'm still constantly acting collect data because we're constantly shifting those skills. And so I like to do just a lot of smaller pieces, yeah. um, gather something around, again, kind of a specific skill that we're building towards you know, thesis statements, yeah. something like that. Um, and a lot of times it's just, we do a lesson and then it's just you know something they turn in kind of the old fashioned, like ticket out the door type yep. thing. Yep. Um, other times, uh, I provide something for them and then they're kind of evaluating it for me. And mm-hmm. so re- it's just a different way of flipping the way that they look at it or the way that they think about it. But it really happens almost, almost daily, even through discussion, um, just as they have a task and you go around and I'll just kneel by every student, check in with them, yeah. see how they're doing, have them talk to me about what they're doing. That's a quick, easy way for me to figure out what they're doing, what they need. And then at the end of the period, I'm just writing a quick notes, like here's what I'm seeing, here's the patterns yeah. I'm seeing. Sometimes it's just a few students I'm gonna need to pull. Mm-hmm. And other times it's really clear there's a misunderstanding here that I need to address, something I need to go back and reteach, or that I didn't teach. Sometimes I recognize that I made an assumption yeah. and that now I need to go back and teach and fill that gap in. Interesting. So, yeah. How valuable is having those touch points with students though? Yeah, so it's everything. The hardest thing about kind of last year was just not having access to my students every day yeah. and um, never meeting, uh, uh, you know, probably 20% of my students. Yeah. I never met them. I never once saw their face. Um, yeah. And I don't think I was very effective with them because just how do you connect with them? How do you, how do you get there? And so much of it, too, is making those personal connections so that as you're working with a student on a skill that they don't have, that they yeah. perceive at least that everyone else has, you know, everyone else air quotes. Yeah, right. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> that can be really uh, that can be really disarmed, like really upsetting sometimes to students. Yeah. They don't want to feel stupid. They don't want to feel dumb. 
But through those relationships, you kind of understand, like, how can I come along and build this person up? How can I help them get that skill they need, recognize that they need it without making them feel less than yeah. somebody else that's in that room? And uh, that really just comes through those those interactions, that daily rubbing shoulders, being real with people. Yeah. And so, yeah, those touch points are so essential. I'm not going to lie to you. You kind of gave me chills there for a second. Just, I mean, your passion around it is incredible. I mean, really. Um, wow, that's, that's incredible. We're going to come back to that. I have more questions. Um, component three, teaching practice and, and learning environment. Oof. Yeah. Video recordings? This one, yeah. <laughs> so this was last year. And, you know, they were great. The, um, the national board, like, they reached out and they're like, hey, we know this is going to be a weird year. Yeah. And so normally you have three years to complete everything. Yeah. Or to pass everything. Um, so most people try to do it in two years so that if you don't pass certain sections, you sure. can go back and redo it. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so... They said, they will give you an extension if you don't want to do it this year. And I thought about that. And I decided that I wanted to do it this year because I thought it might help me give focus to what I was doing. And it ended up being extremely valuable. Uh, it's hard to watch yourself. I don't know. You probably have to watch yourself all the time in what you do. I try not to. Yeah. But it, it does happen. <laughs> but I don't have to watch myself very often. I hadn't yeah. for years. And so to have to watch myself teach was a challenge. But especially in this environment, um, if you'll remember at the beginning of the year, we were in hybrid mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had feels like eons cohorts. ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels like 10 years ago. But uh, we had some students that were, well, 100% uh, remote. And then of the students that were coming in, they were in two different cohorts. Yeah. So one of the classes that I had selected for this was a class of 26. And of those 26, I had 12 that ever came to the school. And in one cohort, I had eight. And in the other cohort, I had four. So um, a lot of the times when I was doing this videotaping for this class, I had four students here and I had 22 students as icons on a screen. Yeah. I had no idea how to do that. I still don't know that I really know how to do that. <laughs> but I know I got better because I had to watch myself yeah. flounder and struggle and I was able to start looking at, okay, when are my students online engaged? When are they participating too? And when is it they're just all static blobs on a screen yeah. and just the students that are present in the classroom are engaging? And through that, I was able to start to see this is more effective than that. And I never would have gotten there without yeah. it because you're so caught up in the moment and so flustered in the immediacy of the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I was able to step back and look objectively, and this gave standards that I was trying to look and apply, and I was able to recognize things that were working, things that weren't working. And so I know that I got better throughout the year. Second semester, I was much better, and things had changed a little yeah, bit yeah. by then too. But kind of through that process of seeing myself and uh, so regularly teach, yeah. it, it was incredibly humbling. One of the most helpful things I've ever done. Yeah. So uh, the last component, I feel like you probably touched on it here, effective and reflective practitioner. I, I mean, I feel like we're going through that process yeah. now a little bit, and yeah. you certainly have yeah. uh, in depth for, for this process. And that was one of my favorite things about the process. It forced me to be reflective yeah. all the time, constantly. And as part of that as well, um, part of the, I guess, the assignment, the task, 
uh, I had to go through reflective conversations with other people as well. Yeah. And so talking to instructional coaches, talking to uh, ESL teachers, talking to special ed teachers, talking to colleagues, talking to administrators, yeah. showing them what I'm doing, getting their feedback and being reflective with them. Uh, each person that you speak to comes at it with a slightly different lens. Yeah. And so I'm learning from each of them, even though I've looked at some of this stuff myself a thousand times yep. at that point. Seeing it again through their eyes brought even more stuff yeah. to the surface. Well, I, I commend you um, for not only going through the process. Um, obviously, um, again, you know, congrats on the national board certification. But really, that's a reflection of you doing the hard work. And it's hard to get feedback from people. It's hard to not just get it, but then to seek it out. Yeah. And then to be able to do it yourself, it, it's like this weird... Um, combination of like you need the confidence to do it but you also need to be willing to be vulnerable to be able to do it as well and that's yeah. not easy yeah well and the last piece i i should have mentioned in that beginning part as you listed those off for me <laughs> one of the other big ones is from students and, and that's something you know i gather stuff from students all the time yeah. but having really intentional conversations with students about yeah. what's working and not what's not working who knows better than our students oh my goodness you know, so yeah, I, I love when I'm able to be kind of vulnerable and transparent yeah. with them because I ask them to do that every day. And I yeah, think right. it's only right that, that we do that with them as well. Yeah. And I think one of the challenging things for teachers was just how humbling it was to feel like you're an expert at something and all of a sudden all the rules change on you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's tough. But that's also how we grow, you know? Yeah. That's what, and that's what I needed. That's what I needed to jumpstart me to kind of rekindle the fire. And uh, and it did that? It did. It Oh, it totally did. It totally did. Yeah. One of the best. So um, when we refer to students, I mean, you work with high school students. Yeah. Um, I worked with high school students for many years. One of the things that um, I really love about high school students is... Um, how honest they can be. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I grew to really appreciate about high school students is um, they're really good, like they're a good read of people. Like mm -hmm. they know instantly whether they're talking to an adult who genuinely cares about them mm -hmm. and genuinely you know, can own their own mistakes, you know, you know, the yeah. teachers, the adults, and they gravitate towards that. Like they just, you know, some of them may not be able to like articulate all of that, but they can read people so good. And, and that was yeah. one of the things that I learned um, when I was teaching high school students is just be straight with them. Like they, like, cause they, if you're not, yeah. they'll know that <laughs> they you're know. not. No, they fully know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, I, I love that. Um, yeah. So I bring this up oftentimes, you know, I bring in my personal life into this podcast from time to time. And, you know, so we have uh, a student or a child of ours who is dyslexic. And so we were going through that process. And one of the things that you said really sparked with me because um, they said one of the, the key things about education at this age and they're, in, you know, in elementary school is to make school like a success, like to make it a win and, and a win doesn't mean that they have to like be off the charts in the reading or the math or whatever and so like when you brought up um just the touch points and personal connections yeah. that's not bringing 
that's not bringing that student just into whatever unit or project they're working on. It's bringing them into your classroom. It's bringing them into the school building. And there's just a lot of power in that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every student comes with their own unique sets of challenges. Yeah. And more than anything in teaching, um, this is what I most value is, is being able to like work with students and help unlock and help figure them out a little bit. And, um, you know, you mentioned dyslexia. I, I had a great model. My father was dyslexic. Oh, okay. And, you know, not, not only did he overcome it after being kind of pushed into special ed classes his whole yeah. life and told that he could never be anything. I mean, he uh, went on to get his master's degree yeah. in, in reading. He became a reading specialist, opened a reading clinic, you know. Oh, that's phenomenal. And so, I, I mean, I tell students that all the time when I'm working on them, like these things that seem impossible right now, you know, we can conquer them. Yeah. It's not going to all happen overnight, but yeah. it's just figuring out where you are now and then let's take you a step further. And that's why it's just as important to differentiate at the top as at the bottom, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I've got these other kids, uh, you know, right now, they're so much smarter than me. So, like, what <laughs> right. am I going to do? I'm just more right? experienced than they yeah. are. So I just need to keep challenging putting something fresh yeah. in front of them. And if everyone's learning something new every day, everyone feels like they belong to this community of yeah. learners. And if we value that journey more than we value the product, which is where I think education sometimes gets it wrong. Yeah. But if we just understand this process and we're constantly trying to learn and to, to chase down the things that we're curious about and that we're passionate about, and uh, th that's what it's all, that's yeah. what I get excited yeah. about. But it is the journey. I mean, isn't it? I mean, 100%. You know, what does success mean, you know, in your classroom and, and education? Well, I mean, maybe that's a question for you. What, what does success mean for the students? For the students? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's a great question. That, that's one we could reflect on for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gets down to that equity piece where you're kind of talking yeah. about it, you know, it, which is something I think we're all wrestling with, how to do that better. But uh but I think success looks different for di for different people yeah. on some level, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's again, that's what's exciting about it. Um, for for some students, I want them to develop their ideas and write more, and others, I'm just like, I want you to cut this in half, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Like, yeah. a, uh, but for each of them, I think it's learning that they can do something they feel like they can't do, yeah. And that's what I love for them, like for them to everyone feels challenged, yeah. But at the end of the day, they experience success and feel like I couldn't do something at the beginning and now I can. Yeah. And so I try to get them to be reflective, too, so they can recognize their own growth, especially yeah. like in writing. It's hard to see your growth as a writer. And but when they go back and they look at early writing from early in the semester, they can see all these problems that early on they were mad about maybe their score that they got. And now they yeah. look at it and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed by this. And. They, then they can see and start to recognize their own growth. Yeah. They're just so close to it. So I think a part of what it looks like is helping them to recognize their own successes. Yeah. So how much voice um, do students have in, I don't know, like their projects and what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, you're providing structure. You know, you had talked about one unit that you were looking at. You know, you're looking at labor movement, excuse sure. me. And yep. so then... What do students bring into in, into your classroom? You know, do they have um, some discretion on, on routes they go? 
Yes, it it looks a little different in each class. I yeah. would say, um, I, in my survey of lit class, they choose every text that they read. Oh, okay. They have a hundred percent control over yeah. what they read. It can be fiction. It can be nonfiction. Uh, they set their own reading goal based on a rate that they uh, determine based on the text they're reading at that time. In yeah. um, some of my other classes, like my AP Lit class, it's a little bit more split. So um, sometimes we have a whole class text. Right now the whole class is reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Okay. Um, we read Hamlet first semester, you yeah. know. But then also along the way, they are also doing a project on an independent reading novel. Yeah. So. They had kind of a, I had a list of maybe 25 texts, but they could also propose a, a title of equal literary merit. Yeah. Um, you know, from that list. Uh, first semester, or well, I guess that later in the semester, same thing. They'll have kind of a managed choice list. So they'll have a handful, maybe 10 choices that they'll choose from. Um, so it kind of depends. In, in my resistance movements class, Right now, we're just kind of giving quick hits over a lot of different movements. Yeah. And then they're going to be selecting a movement that they want to go deep with. And they're going to spend the rest of the year developing a multi-genre project. They'll, it'll be research-based. Yeah. And they're going to become kind of experts on this and develop a project to kind of share it with the rest of the world. And they have control over what movement they pick. And it just has to meet the criteria okay. of being a resistance movement. Yeah. So we're trying... What is the criteria? Um, I mean, just a sustained movement, yeah. the advocating for social change. I okay. Mean, so pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I want them to find things they're passionate about. Yeah. And I, I, we do need some mentor texts. We need some common texts to learn around. And so even, um, except in that survey of lit class, maybe I'll just have like a short piece every now yeah. and again we look at, but um, that one's kind of a, kind of an, an outlier. Most of my other classes, we have some common learning around some mentor texts that I use to model the instruction that we're doing. And yeah. then they're going to apply it to something that they're interested or engaged with. And hopefully that way they get the, the learning that they need, um, but around issues that are more interesting to them. Yeah. And then I try to carefully select what we all go through. Yeah. Um, kind of through the you know an equity lens and representation and a lot of those other issues. So when um, looking at these movements and really, I mean, maybe reflect over the course of your career, students have way more access to information than you or I did going cool. to high school. I mean, it's just yeah. it's it's an infinite amount of information and yeah. it's all right there, yep. either on their Chromebook or their phone. How has um, how has that shifted? you know, like student engagement in topics. I don't remember being this engaged as a high school student, mm. to be honest with you. Um, maybe, maybe that's a reflection of me. I don't know. Um, yeah. But they just have every, like, they just have access to so much information. Um, is that is that good in some ways? Can it be challenging in other ways? I, I know it is challenging in other ways. It cuts but, both ways, Eric. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. In some ways, it's great because... Yeah. Well, I can throw out an issue there, and within minutes, we can have access to really high-quality sources yeah. um, from all over the world, yeah. and it's it's amazing. But also, sometimes with that easy access, there's also kind of a level of almost apathy, you know, and like, why do I need to know this? I can just look it up, or... Um, you know which is I mean? a little annoying and 100 yeah, percent true all right, at the same yeah. time. It makes you think like, do do they need to know this? Which are good <laughs> questions to ask yourself too, true. right? Yep. 
Um, but but learning about things and and doing something with it, you know, there's there's value to that. Um, but but also it can be a, a little a, a little challenging. Yeah. There's so many shortcuts available mm-hmm. online also. Yeah. So like, why do, if I need to know about this book, can't I just read a summary of this book instead yeah. of reading the book? You know, right. and, and and like, no, you, that's not the point to know what happens. Yeah. It's how it's written, and so there's still some some battles like that. Yeah. But I'd say on the whole, there's some great tools with technology. There's definitely uh, times in every class where every computer's away, and I don't yeah. want them out for any reason. And uh, other times where you have to have it out. Yeah. And, right. It's, yeah. Eh. Uh, so I have a two-part question here. Um, my overarching question is, you know, how do you choose, you know, some of your text and supplemental materials? And then um, I am curious about this question, but it kind of sounds a little funny. Do you ever fall into that, um, well, I'm a high school English teacher. I got to put this on the list. You know, insert all of the, you know, requi- required, I put sure. in air quotes, required high school readings, which many are, are wonderful to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's yeah. kind of like that cliche oh, a little sure. bit. Um, yeah. how, how do you choose supplemental, you know, or your text? How, does, and does it change over time? It, yeah, it, it does change over time. It does change over time as philosophies and things change yeah. too. Um, I mean, one part of the answer that's that's not a – popular answer, but it's an honest one, yeah. is, is we have limited resources. Books are expensive. Sure. And so sometimes it's like we assign books because we don't have a budget yeah. for new books. Yeah. And you have them. Th- and this is what we have. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's not a, a real glamorous answer, though. Uh, but That's we're fair. constant. But yeah, we're constantly looking at things. Um, I definitely grew up in the school of you know the the dead white guys, you know, and, yep. and that was the the model I had in mm-hmm. college, and certainly the way I started at Ames High, uh, and but that is, you know, everything has shifted, everything's yeah. changed, and uh, so there's still some pieces that we definitely get in that we feel like are part of our. Of Western culture that people sure. need to be exposed yep. to. You know, our freshmen still read Romeo and Juliet. You yeah. know, in my AP class, we still read Hamlet. Yep. Um, there's some texts that, like, they just suggest that you read if you want to perform well on the AP exam. So there are certainly some texts okay. like that. Uh, but we've definitely been asking some big questions about, you know, what what do we put in front of students? This is a big issue in our whole country right yeah, now. Yeah, right? no, 100% I mean, it as, is. As who, who gets to pick what our students read yeah and so we we think that representation matters i want Mm -hmm. students to see themselves and and what they're reading um but there's also things i think they need to know about or experience that they're going to understand more of our culture or illusions that appear all across popular culture if they're a well-read individual and certain things Mm -hmm. so trying to find that balance yeah it's a tough balance we're always struggling with that yeah but um, we do make concerted efforts to buy text, and our personal libraries are full of books um, where students can can pick something and read, and hopefully uh, find something interesting yeah. from a living author. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> that I looks get like it. them. Yep. You know. Yep. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, like celebrations in, in your classroom. And, you know, it's, you know, you had talked about the, the labor movement not being the most, you know, um, attractive uh, thing to cover on any given time. But they get to choose other movements and stuff yeah. like that. But ultimately, um, they have some deliverables. And, and I liked how you framed, 
you're pushing students to not only, hey, let's add some more, you know, robust information here, but, you know, for other students, let's let's cut it in half. Do you get those aha moments from from students sometimes? Or maybe you, you see some frustration early on that then shifts into, you know what, I powered through that and I did yeah. that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great moments as we go. Um, we try... I, <laughs> I try to celebrate the things yeah. they're doing. Sometimes they just celebrate themselves, you know, through Listen, their own reflections. I love it. But my classroom, if you come into my classroom, yeah. it's kind of a cluttered mess, but it's just full of student work over the years that yeah. have been produced. And so we put that out there. Um, I'm big on people sharing the work that they do. I want them to learn to stand behind the work that they yeah. do and the ideas that they have. Because we're, we're also with this uh, technological social media world, mm -hmm. we're in a place where people um, are, are really big about advancing ideas, but not putting their name behind it, you know, anonymous accounts and yep. um, no, burner accounts. <laughs> and like, yeah. and so I want that, that doesn't help anything. So I really want them to get to this idea of like, this is my work. I'm proud of it. This is the way I think, and I'm going to stand behind it. Yep. And I think there's, there's something to that. Um, so that is something that we we push for. How does that go over? Do they do? Or do you, in your experience, do students like? Do they get that concept? Because they've they lived do. in a world of burner accounts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. like as far as perspective yeah. goes, that, that's just normal. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. saying every student has one, but like just the concept yeah. of of anonymousness. You know, that's that's that was. I don't know. I felt like it's maybe. A, a newer phenomenon, you know, like with just with social media, yeah. you can just throw an opinion out there and it can bang around, you know, the internet for a while and there's no, there's no accountability. accountability. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. How does that go over then? You know, when, when obviously it's, a, it's a safe environment, it's a safe place in your classroom. So how does that yeah. concept go over? Generally well. Okay. <laughs> I, I think for the most part, Kids want that. I mean, I think they they want accountability. Um, they they like having clear boundaries. I think is yeah. a whole separate maybe conversation, but I think they aspire for that on some level. But then there's also this incredible fear of saying something and become coming uh, ridiculed or targeted because yeah. of it. And so that's always a fine line, too. You try to create a, a culture in your classroom where yeah. everyone feels safe to share ideas. But that is something that, that students are really concerned about. And, you know, I, we also didn't have to grow up in a world with online bullying. No, right, correct. You know, if, if there was a bully at school, we could leave school and, and then we were in a safe place again. Yeah. And they, they can be in a place where they're never safe or never feel yeah. safe. And so that is a very, very real thing for them too. But uh, you know, we just really try to focus on you know authenticity and yeah. again, like um, you know, pushing back on ideas and not people. You know, like these are ideas that I think we talk a lot about, but honestly, they don't have them modeled very often from people in society. Yeah. Um, they're people that they see online. Um, certainly from, you know, a lot of our government officials and, yeah. and whatnot, it's just not always modeled very well. No, no, it isn't. So when they're in your classroom having, you know, you engage in obviously dialogue, conversation, you want things to, um, this push and pull, you know, we just talked about the anonymous 
accounts and how, mm. you know, you can just say crazy things and, yeah. and without repercussion. Do you feel like students, I mean, like everyone kind of reels it in when, when you're in person um, or do you see, how does that work in the classroom? I mean, you know, like this, there is an art to be able to have conversation and disagree with one another and then to be able to continue on with our day, you know, yeah. like in that conversation. Um, I've always found that I, that high school students, students probably in general, can do that a lot better. Um, what's your experience in the classroom? Uh, yeah, so I, I frame it as civil discourse. Yeah. And I think it's a lost art. Um, and I do, I actually see it way better from our students than I do even from the adults in our building yeah. sometimes. If yeah. we, if, you know, we disagree with one another, it's harder to be gracious with people. Yeah. And for some reason, they're more able to do that. Now they can also turn on people like that sure. in just really yep. crazy ways sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. I think on the whole, they're a lot more willing to do that or have their ideas pushed back on. Yeah. And they'll think about it. And I love sometimes in class, some of the, the great moments that I really try to stop and celebrate when they happen. But sometimes a student will be like, I know yesterday I was saying this, but, and then they'll kind of take a slightly different course the next day. And I love that. I love that they yeah. said something they and and meant it 100% the day before, yeah. reflected on it more based on a conversation, and then altered their point of view. Uh, that's what I think we as adults struggle with sometimes. Yeah, 100%. We just get stubborn. We get set in our in our worldview, and uh, I that's what gives me hope. Is yeah. if we can learn to do that, if we can learn to talk about issues, and if we can um, learn to to seek out you know valid sources too, yeah. you know, and not just have an opinion, but have it rooted in something concrete. Yeah. And, uh, that's what we need. Well, I love the idea of um, the concept that, that learning is a process. I think, you know, too often as adults, you know, we read headlines and, and somebody said this, therefore they have to stand behind that for, you know, eternity. And But things mm -hmm. can shift. Things can change over time. Like we can all learn um, as we go, just because, you know, we have an opinion today doesn't mean, you know, like you said with the student, well, that shifted the 24 hours later due to reflection, maybe due, due to learning something else. Um, it's incredible. And that's, I think, again, where as a teacher, I have an opportunity to model for them where that yeah. happens for me. Um, and so I try to talk to them sometimes about misconceptions that I've had yeah. or my own maturity or my own growth. Um, when sometimes uh, I, you know, we all have, I think, these blind spots sometimes that we don't see things in a particular way. And then someone will say something and you'll recognize like, oh, you know, like I've been privileged enough to never have to experience that yeah. in my life. So it's, it's never occurred to me that that would even be a barrier for someone. And now I see that it is. Yeah. And like, what a great opportunity for me to revise my own thinking, yeah. my own worldview. And I think if we model for that, that we don't have all the answers ourselves, yeah. that it's a, a journey and a process for yeah. us as well, hopefully that invites them in yeah. to that, that process. I would imagine that's got to be one of the things that you've seen shift the most over, over your career. Um, you know, education has always had this image of, well, you know, the teacher's up there, the, they're the yeah. authority in the topic. And, and yeah. you kind of um, reference that a little bit. It's just 
you're more experienced. You, yeah. you don't have all of the answers, <laughs> and I think that's okay. Um, students get that, especially high school students. They get the genuineness. Um, they get the authenticity. And if you can go through that process with them, they're much more likely to um, go along with you. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you're, you're right. When I first came in, it was like you don't show any fear. Right, like, yeah. You know, the first month of school, you just try to intimidate all your kids into silence and like it's horrible straight, you know, straight rows. Yep. And yep. you talk the lecture and everyone takes notes and just some of the stuff. Now I look back and, and I I'm like, what was I doing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and pretty quickly, I just learned that the more the more I empower my students to be in control of what they learn, the more they learn. Yeah. And, and the more, like, if I'm doing all the talking, there's probably not a lot of learning happening. Yeah. So I need to facilitate, but I'm really huge on collaboration. And yeah. that's another reason why COVID was so tough, right? Yeah. So, but uh, that collaboration piece, learning from each other, I think is so much better. Everyone has a voice in a smaller group and a large group, a few dominate. Just there's so many things along the way I, I've figured out, not that I'm there at it, by any means. But I feel like I'm in a better place now yeah. than I was a few years ago, for sure. Well, James, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on here. This took so many, um, so many directions that I didn't anticipate, and I loved every part of it. Um, I will say congratulations to you again Thanks, on sir. the uh, National Board Certified Teacher. It, it is a remarkable accomplishment. In fact, um, when I first uh, caught wind of it, I had a couple people actually text me and say, this is a big deal. So it just uh, it, it reinforced the fact um, that it, not only it is, but the work that you put behind it. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and I hope we can get some more teachers to go through it. Yeah. Um, it, it was such a valuable process. I think I benefited from it. Um, I know my students benefited from it. It's the best professional development I've, I've ever been a part of because everything is 100% focused around your instruction in yeah. your classes with your students and um anyways awesome yeah uh well thank you again yeah thanks sir